and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia, and here's my co-host Morgan. Hello. This week we're discussing Silence of the Lambs, adapted from the Thomas Harris novel by director Jonathan Demme and writer Ted Talley. Um, Jodie Foster stars as the FBI trainee protagonist Clarice Starling, who enlists the help of the cannibal serial killer Hannibal Lecter while investigating another serial killer named Buffalo Bill, who is the character that is meant to be the villain in this movie and people tend to forget because uh, <laughs> Hannibal is much more important. Um, and this is the first movie where Hannibal is played by Anthony Hopkins, which is kind of a career defining role for him. Morgan just watched this movie for the first time yesterday. I I've did. seen it a couple of times, most recently about a year ago. So it's a little bit fresher in Morgan's mind. Yes. And I would say in general, you are more passionate about the Hannibal mythos. than <laughs> Yes, I, I have seen every Hannibal screen up adaptation there is including Manhunter and Red Dragon. <laughs> and Hannibal Rising? I've seen Hannibal Rising and it wow. sucks. I mean, of yeah. course it sucks, right? Like, I've not read the book. That's the book I haven't read. But for those who are not in the know, Hannibal Rising is the ill-conceived prequel where they go back to Hannibal's childhood backstory. And it's, it's, a, it's a bad film and by all accounts a bad book, but it's a bad concept in general because they're trying to explain an unexplainable villain by yes. giving him a backstory so it's like just don't just don't do it i remember that coming out we were teenagers i think and i'm like reading the review in entertainment weekly or whatever and they were just like why this is so bad yeah and <laughs> anthony hopkins basically refused to be in it because i think he just didn't really agree with that concept and this is anthony hopkins who was excited to reprise the role in red dragon a film which was not particularly good and it didn't re really make sense for him to be like 70 years old in because it was a prequel <laughs> so it's not like he's shy about showing up for a paycheck <laughs> yeah he's both one of our greatest actors and definitely a hack so that's I, really a sign i adore him he's yeah just he's wonderful. great <laughs> yeah and great in this film needless to say one of the really famous things about this movie is that it's one of only three films ever along with it happened one night and one flew over the cuckoo's nest to have won all of the big five actors so best picture best director best screenplay of whatever category and then best actor and best actress and the sort of famous factoid about this movie is that he won best actor despite appearing in the movie for like 25 minutes out of its two-hour runtime but i always thought it was kind of hilarious because you hear that and think like obviously he should have won supporting actor right like it's just on the face of it it's ridiculous and then having seen it i was like oh no that's fine yeah <laughs> like that's okay <laughs> sure like I don't get it. Like, you give him the big one. Like, he's... I mean, obviously, Jodie Foster, Clarice, is the main character of this film. Like, she has the arc, like, whatever. But as everyone has said since it came out, and as I now understand, he the impression he makes is so indelible. Right. That, and there's, like, there's you know, dozens and dozens of characters in this movie, and they're all basically just kind of workman-like supporting roles. You know, it's like all the background characters in Zodiac or something. Well... The thing about this is that the movie absolutely has zero interest in any characters except for Hannibal and Clarice. Whereas Zodiac at least has like yeah. three, maybe four that it's interested in. This is completely a two-person show to its detriment at a certain level because the mystery that is supposedly driving the plot isn't driving the plot actually at all like it doesn't matter 
the thing that the movie is interested in is the relationship between Hannibal and Clarice. And that's the thing that everyone always remembers. But because Hannibal is so much, he can't really be in the movie for more than about 25 minutes. Yeah. Or else it would just be like, ah. Because it <laughs> is, is it's basically a procedural investigation where Clarice is brought in as a trainee with all these experienced law enforcement officers who are trying to find Buffalo Bill, who's, you know, he's a serial killer who's kidnapped someone. And like, I really like all the Hannibal stuff, like the franchise, I guess you'd now describe it, but even I don't really remember the nuts and bolts of what happens in the Buffalo Bill investigation. I remember all the stuff that happens with Hannibal and Clarice, and I remember Buffalo Bill, the character, being like really transphobic, but I don't I don't remember like what happens because you're just like blown away by Anthony Hopkins and like Jodie Foster is just it's like such an interesting kind of movie about workplace sexism in a sort yes. of undercover way that's also like really clearly intentional. Yeah, well, there are lots of shots with her with large groups of men and no one ever really says anything to her, but it's all very clear that she isn't taken as seriously or is being put in positions that are kind of uncomfortable or is being used. I mean, the whole her being sent into Hannibal is obviously about her gender and appearance Yeah, because she's a young, attractive woman and they want him to find her young and attractive. And then she's not given all the information because they want her, her to be sort of guileless. And there are all of these sort of accumulating things without anyone saying to her face, you know, like explicitly sexist things, right? But I think that makes it a lot more effective because it's the kind of thing that, not that people don't encounter more explicit sexism too, but it's the kind of thing that I think a lot of people have to deal with, like, all the time. Yeah. And it makes her, it gives her a really interesting kind of thriller protagonist role because there's, I mean, I would say even probably most thrillers are about men who are sort of like I'm working alone or there's some reason relatively contrived that means that they have to be sort of on this quest by themselves and can't receive outside help and with this it's more like Clarice Starling has been isolated by others there's just gonna be a situation where people don't trust her word and her opinion which is kind of the way the books are as well so even though she's clearly really competent even though she's inexperienced it's like she's just having to go and like hunt down this serial killer by herself and then there's a sort of situation. This is a very difficult to spoil movie, actually, because the plot is so irrelevant yeah. to what makes it compelling. And you find out who the guy is very early on, even though they don't. It's one of those things where, like, there's a mystery, but you know the answer early, and then they're trying to figure it out. So you're kind of seeing it from both angles. Yeah. Um, there's a situation near the end where she winds up sort of figuring out what's happening, and then everybody else is on a wild goose chase. And um, then is in this like labyrinth, labyrinth in like basement, trying to find this guy all by herself. And I think it really epitomizes a lot of what the movie is doing, which is that she's put in positions of danger, but also that she is like the object of a man's gaze, but not in necessarily in a sexual way like the movie doesn't male gazy at all like she's obviously an attractive person but it's not like the camera is like yeah she's going up and like, down over and her right and stuff yeah but the idea of her as like someone who is looked at by men or is in a 
is threatened by men in that way is conveyed really well in this one particular way in this scene that I don't want to spoil actually because it's so so good um that actually instead of making her feel sexualized and then like alienating to me as a female viewer just made me feel like yes this is what is so threatening about men in a really like evocative way like that scene in particular in the basement I was watching with a friend of mine and we were on the couch and it was like dark at night right and we were both like curled up on the couch like, <laughs> freaking out and I like his head was like clutching a pillow and we were like ah and it is obviously it's just scary but it's very much a gendered yeah. thing also like she is in this position and even though she is really competent her gender is part of what is making this threat more frightening I guess specifically as a female viewer you feel a lot of that it is like a really scary intense movie and it taps into just so many primal fears you know they've got kind of all the they've basically got everything in there right like what like a fear of the dark and all the kind of the body horror stuff and the psychological horror and like being isolated and all these things but i don't really agree with the idea that it's like one of the few horror movies to win best picture because i really just classify it as a thriller i do i don't think it's horror at all I think Hannibal, the TV series, is definitely kind of gothic psychological horror that disguises itself at first as a procedural crime drama, but Silence of the Lambs is a crime thriller that happens to have a monster in it. I think it's sort of somewhere in between. I definitely don't think it's a straight horror movie, but I don't know that I would call it like straight thriller either. I think it's closer to a thriller. My friend was saying like we were partway through the movie and she was like, so is this a genre film? And I was like, you know, I don't, and like this person who watches movie, like you're not an idiot, but it was, I was kind of like, that's actually an interesting question, right? Like, cause it clearly is, but it's not like a romantic comedy, right? Where like, it's extremely obvious yeah. on the packaging that like, that's what's going on. Or like a superhero film where both of those things are prescribed beats and you follow all of I the I mean, beats, crime is a right? genre. It is a crime right. movie. Right. But it's not like... But you, the investigation process isn't the drive. Right. Like, and there are a lot of just different things going on. And yet simultaneously, it clearly is genre. Yeah. But I don't know. It was just, it was just interesting to think about because it doesn't, or like, you know, the sort of wanky question of like, what is genre really? Right. <laughs> Which like people books sort of argue about all the time. Because simultaneously, you sort of immediately answer, or at least I did, like, yes, but it doesn't follow a prescribed format. In well, it's the same partly way. because of Hannibal's own role, because in each of the yeah. Hannibal stories, he's kind of the villain, but he's also not necessarily the villain because even though he's not sympathetic, you kind of side with him because he's really charming and interesting and you're invested in the relationship with him and the protagonist, which this time around is Clarice. And the actual villains are kind of secondary serial killers where in my experience anyway, you're like not as invested in what they're doing. The stuff that they're doing is much more kind of in keeping with just generalized sort of exploitative crime horror kind of slasher stuff because this movie really is, it's like, oh, there's a bad man who doesn't conform to American masculine gender norms and he's attacking a bunch of women and like being violent towards them. And it's like, that's a just a gross bad concept. But because Hannibal's in it, it's like he's the focal point and that's the same as all the other Hannibal stories. So it doesn't... And also the fact that 
you kind of it, you're not it's not like a mystery story where they're investigating something where you're like we've got to find out what the answer is and that's why like the Hannibal TV show is so interesting because literally the premise is that no one else has figured out the Hannibal's a cannibal so like right. the, 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 pro- the problem has been pre-solved in our minds and it's all about just like watching it unfold well I mean I was actually thinking about the first so I watched the first two seasons of Hannibal and I was thinking about the first season watching this because it's basically like a crime of the week yeah episode except it's a movie and the crime of the week as with that show and many other sort of semi-serialized procedurals, like you don't care about the procedural element at all. And I actually think with Hannibal that the procedural stuff was really helpful and keeping the show sort of the ball rolling on the show. But with this, because the movie, as I said, is so singularly interested in Hannibal and Clarice, but like, but there needs to be another plot going on. Like it can't just be, a series of conversations between the two of them about stuff like that that doesn't make a movie. I mean, I guess you could have some kind of experimental film, but like that's not what they're trying to do. Then there's this, they just sort of throw this villain in and it is so heinously offensive. I mean, we were sitting watching this and just couldn't believe what was happening. It's just astonishing. So it's this guy who like Hannibal explains like, thinks is a transsexual because this came out in the year 1991 but isn't actually because he just has you know he thinks he's lots of things i think is the exact line he's just you know a very confused person and we were like okay like "Ah!" and then there's this whole scene where this guy like dances while sort of dressed up as a woman and it's just i mean it's just i can't we were we were flabbergasted but then also later when she goes to the house and you sort of see more of the room because she's walking through and there's this whole sort of action scene going on he's got like nazi stuff in the room none of which is ever explained so the whole character aside from the fact that it's really offensive you just don't get enough context of what his deal is right like there's just no explanation of anything that's going on and that whole part of the movie is not developed enough and uh, and is also really offensive but because they're clearly not interested in it it's just sort of like shoved to the side and they'll cut away to it periodically to be like oh yeah this is still happening he's still got this girl in a well which is why all this other stuff is going on and we're gonna go back to Clarice now (laughs) and we're like um okay like sure (laughs) but there needs to be a crime for the movie to happen so i guess they chose that and it's like it's it's real bad really bad it's like they kind of they're trying to like position like they're like what's like a really the opposite of hannibal is someone who's like really unclassy and you know is also kind of like american because he's called buffalo bill so there's like kind of cowboy elements and then there's just all this like very poorly handled gender identity stuff and he's also like really um, gross and Hannibal's this sort of like European aristocrat who's really charming and cultured and, you know, you're meant to be really impressed by him. And it's meant to be kind of like a contrast between Dracula and Gollum or something. And it's like you just, there's no, like it just doesn't, it doesn't work. And um, I think like I'm not, I've only seen like one other movie by Jonathan Demme, but I remember reading a while ago that he really took the criticism on board and then like tried to correct himself in later movies so this wasn't a situation where i mean i'm sure like you know obviously everyone involved in creating that character is like massively fucked up what they were attempting to do and also it changes a lot over the past like 25 years but sounds like jonathan demi kind of uh saw the error of his ways in later films (laughs) 
Yes. I mean, by all accounts, he was an unbelievably nice person, which is unusual for Hollywood directors, to put it mildly. He very recently died. Well, um, I think that's, the- that's, that, that's like basically the way in which they've managed to make a movie that's basically about men brutalizing women, but it's like a really feminist film in many ways and it's really thoughtful yeah. and it's from a women's perspective and it's from a book by a man written and directed by men and they basically managed to work nearly a miracle based on <laughs> the uh, background yeah. of that one <laughs> well yeah except for that one gross element and i think actually the biggest thing is just what we were talking about with the workplace sexism stuff because it is so subtle and not just like men saying gross things to her face um that's not necessarily something that i would expect men to understand but they obviously did making it which is pretty impressive um and i think part of the reason why it has survived although obviously the main reason is animal (laughs) who people like yourself yes i am definitely one of those people (laughs) but yeah i mean like clarice is also it's not even just like oh they've managed to do a really thoughtful depiction of workplace sexism, but Clarice is just straightforwardly a really well-written character. She's not following, she's not falling into a really specific trope or kind of character role beyond being sort of like an inexperienced newbie type character. But they do have a lot to thank from the book because there's all this really interesting class stuff going on with her role because, you know, you can tell just from her introduction, that she's really hardworking and she's kind of clawing her way up through the FBI, but you also kind of gradually figure out that she comes from a really poor background. She's, I don't remember what state, but she's she's from the South, and it's the same background that Will Graham has in Red Dragon and the Hannibal TV series. Like, Hannibal kind of, they, they pick these characters that kind of are the opposite of Hannibal, so he's got that kind of European aristocrat thing, and then he has these sort of magnetic attractions to these people who come from really humble beginnings and they're from the South and they don't have much access to what he perceives as the cultural excellence of his own background. But they have this spark of intelligence that the people around them don't really have. So like everyone else is very much sort of by the book law enforcement people and it's like her personality is the thing that gets her through to Hannibal herself. But there's still these little moments where because she's so young, she's still kind of got this, she's still kind of got a self-consciousness about being working class. There's a moment where she like identifies someone as being from like town or something like that. Because yeah. like, and it's just like, it's a, it's a really smart way of illustrating that she's kind of an outsider compared to everyone else who's kind of in the FBI. Obviously Hannibal is sort of like describing her to herself rudely (laughs) like analyzing her appearance and so on but um yeah she's just like a really well-drawn character and obviously Jodie Foster's performance is great even though everyone in that film is slightly overshadowed by Anthony Hopkins (laughs) yes she is really good though also I had this unrelated to really anything but I had a hilarious moment watching that and like I've seen Jodie Foster in things I know Jodie Foster looks like but I don't think I'd never seen her anything at that exact age, right? I've seen her in Taxi Driver and I've seen her in things when she's sort of an older adult. And she was making kind of facial expressions and that reminded me of someone and I was trying to figure out who it was and I realized it was Kristen Stewart (laughs) who plays her daughter in Panic Room, which I have seen, which is a bad movie. I don't recommend it. But I was, I like burst out laughing. I was just like, this is too funny. It's because they both have a gay vibe. 
it's a beautiful lineage. I was like, and she's like her mentor, and like this whole thing. I was like, I was really, I just made me happy. I was like, this is great. <laughs> anyway, that's just a little note that I would like to add to this. I was like, oh, she did manage to sort of capture that. Kristen Stewart, I mean, and sort of emulating Jodie Foster has really gotten it. Like, so I think they should play mother and daughter again in a better film than Panic Room. That would be my my desire now. But anyway, we can talk about Handful now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So have you have you seen any of the other Hannibal movies? No. Okay. So He's been played by three actors. No, four. So he's played by, you know, a young guy in the shit movie that we don't need to discuss. Um, and then in the original Manhunter, kind of the adaptation of Red Dragon, um, he was played by Brian Cox, where he's just kind of playing a generic villain. So it's not that interesting. And then yeah. Anthony Hopkins comes in and it's like, holy shit. And it's really impressive that... Anthony Hopkins and Mads Mikkelsen could both have such incredibly distinct and really complex performances of the same character and it doesn't seem like they're overlapping or clashing because they're both different enough but they're both really interesting interpretations and it's partly because they take place in different time periods like Mads Mikkelsen's Hannibal is when he's still essentially undercover you know nobody's realized he's a serial killer whereas Anthony Hopkins's performance means that he's more free but it's so fascinating to watch this movie because he is just terrifying, which is really obvious to say, but he is kind of a pudgy middle-aged man in a hospital jumpsuit or a plain white t-shirt with his hair, you know, slicked back with like a soap comb or something. <laughs> and he's just terrifying. He's so creepy, but he's also weirdly charming. Yes. And he's got these kind of sexual aspects that are also like creepy in a different way for when you're watching movies where there's like a sexually threatening male character and it's just like there's a lot there's a lot happening here he's doing a lot with not very much screen time and i love him <laughs> well a lot of that i think is i mean the performance obviously is incredible but it, of course a lot of it is the direction as well which has to be really good because he's in a cell for most but it's also like literally time, like a right? dungeon they're like throw him in the medieval dungeon right <laughs> <laughs> and he is often shot in super close up and doesn't blink doesn't ever blink and in general there's a lot of shots of people in super close up mostly in those scenes but not exclusively where the person is right in the middle of the frame and anyone who's taken a film studies class will have been told this like the you know the second day or something that generally when people are having a, are having a conversation in a movie they put one person on one side of the frame and one person on the other side and then cut back and forth between them so your brain kind of will put someone on the left and put someone on the right and it's just a verbal like shorthand it's just easier for your brain to process that information for whatever reason and he and Clarice will often be right in the center of the frame um and then that is a fairly consistent thing when something intense is happening throughout the movie so there's a scene in a funeral home where she's kind of remembering her father's funeral and she's sort of walking forward and her face is right in the center of the frame and it's a super close-up and Demi uses that a lot and so there's a bunch of shots where Anthony Hopkins's face is just like right in the middle of the frame and it's really huge and he's doing his creepy thing and 
that adds to the performance a lot, I think, because instead of doing any flashy things, he just lets him do it, but also makes him the center of the action. Like, he's just there. And then also when he cuts back to Clarice, you get the same sort of intense gaze at her. lizard face. (laughs) Yeah. And by putting her in the middle, you get that she's really just been taken in by him. And so you get these cuts back and forth where you really understand that this conversation they're having is incredibly psychologically intense and is it's just so riveting i mean i was so i was again i was watching this with my friend and obviously i I don't tend to talk a lot in movies but you know we were saying things occasionally like making observations and then in those scenes like you don't say anything you're just completely like fixated on what's happening and again obviously a lot of that is the performance but i think a lot of it has to do with the direction as well um and that you just can't look away from what is happening it was so smart have you heard what anthony hopkins kind of described his inspiration for his performance i have but it i was so long ago that i can't remember he said he was trying to combine katherine hepburn with hal from 2001 yes (laughs) (laughs) oh that's just so amazing that's the creepiest thing i've ever heard (laughs) (laughs) oh I feel like I should watch it again now with that yeah. in my mind to like I yeah I need to because I've not I've not I, I rewatched it like a like last year or the year before but I think like the next Hannibal movie I'm gonna watch is Hannibal because my housemates and I were working our way through the entire series in chronological order um so we still need to w- watch Hannibal which is not as good as this so don't yeah matter. but um I'll have to look out for the the HAL 9000 comparison but really he's Dracula I mean he is he's Dracula <laughs> yeah Catherine Hepburn was alive in 1991 also so imagine hearing that quote just being yeah. like okay <laughs> I feel like she'd appreciate it I think I think Catherine Hepburn might have might have time for that <laughs> yeah I think she would be, be flattered probably <laughs> who wouldn't be honestly I mean what a statement yeah that is it was funny actually I thought when you were talking about how all the like European contrasts with her so I think she's meant to be from West Virginia. I wasn't thinking about that almost at all, mm-hmm. watching it. Like, there's a bit right at the beginning where he's done this drawing of the Duomo in Florence and talks about how, you know, like, he's never going to see it again because he's locked in the cell forever or whatever. And he's got a kind of funny accent. But I don't think they make... So it's definitely implicitly there. And he has one speech in particular where he goes after the fact that she's, like, basically a hick. Yeah. And, you know. But I don't think they make a a huge deal out of that i think that the tv show again because he's a a free man at that point especially like you know near the beginning and then of course they go to italy in the part that i haven't watched that there's way more of an emphasis on his like high culture yeah i mean it's also like like partly i mean it's not relevant to silence of lambs really and also because of the actor it's you know like anthony hopkins his accents typically fall somewhere on a spectrum between full Welsh and American, depending on, yes. you know, there's several roles I've seen him in where there's just like a little bit of Welsh is just coming in there. I mean, obviously yeah. every aspect of his performance is flawless, but like, I think he's just like, it just doesn't matter if I'm a little bit Welsh because no one is going to recognize that it's a Welsh accent. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I mean, 
he's definitely kind of trying to do some sort of generic yeah he's he's, a, he's kind accent. of a mid-atlantic like person whose second language might be english but yeah like, like the character is lithuanian which is irrelevant you know he's someone who can potentially have grown up in a dracula castle and <laughs> it's just more relevant in the hannibal tv series because maz mickelson's danish so he's very clearly european and also yeah. like you said you know he has more of the trappings of aristocracy but it's also like because of the genre thing so hannibal the tv show is absolutely just like a gothic drama with loads of sort of like looming architecture and stuff and silence of lambs is a procedural so like he's still like dracula but it's more in this sort of personality sense he's this inhuman monster who consumes flesh and there's all this gender and sexuality stuff and it's also like he is fbi proof because the whole concept of all the hannibal stories is that they're using all these really high-tech profiling techniques to track down serial killers and it's all very highly researched and there's all this stuff where they're using you know psychological profiling jargon and stuff to figure out who buffalo bill is and then with hannibal he has no motive and his background is obscured and he's just acting completely truly to his own soul and that's also kind of tied up in his relationship with Clarice because he doesn't fulfill any kind of rational morality or any emotions that make sense for any other characters including the bad characters it's just that like he he likes Clarice and she's been polite and respectful so he will repay that with his own politeness and respect yeah I mean I think it's more just that he's so completely other. Yeah. Right? And the weird accent is part of that. So he's definitely not American. Yeah. But it's more just that he's not American as opposed to that he's concretely anything else. Yeah. And when he's sort of ripping into her, and mostly he is very polite to her when he occasionally is ripping into her, it's like he is this sort of like God figure, right? Who's all seeing. And... I don't know, I guess it's less the... Obviously, you're getting all the like contrast between the two of them, and that's the point of the movie. But because of all the stuff you were just saying, it's like he's just been birthed from the ether, right? Yeah. It's this inexplicable... And he's superhuman. You know, in the books, he yeah. has glowing red eyes and six fingers on one hand like the devil. <laughs> and, you know, throughout all the adaptations, he's super strong, which is a bit more yeah. plausible for Maz Mikkelsen than, than Anthony Hopkins. But I'll still yes. accept it, because it's awesome. It's but, um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because like he is, he is the authority figure because he is the one who's obviously smarter than everyone else. Yeah. But the film kind of simultaneously endorses and also critiques his snobbery because his snobbery is so ridiculous and over the top and it's all tied up in stuff that no one has any hope of having access to. But at the same time, you're kind of almost meant to sympathise with the fact that he just has no respect for these people who are disrespecting Clarice. And it is because they're all just like really you know they're poorly behaved and rude they're they're tasteless and even though she is also not fulfilling his snobbish standards she's sympathetic as well so you've got this interesting thing where like you're always kind of caught between like approving and disapproving of what he's saying and doing yeah it's it's interesting because they're so different and not exactly on the same side but as a viewer you kind of put them in one category and everybody else in another category, which goes back to the fact that the film, again, is completely uninterested in everybody else in this movie. So you're kind of like, well, they can just fuck off. And But the Cannibal and Clarice are the interesting ones. I also thought it was interesting. There's not actually very much violence at all in this movie. Um, I mean, you see some like photographs of stuff that Buffalo Bill has done to these women. Yeah. And there's one 
sort of a very gothic thing that Hannibal does that's sort of explicitly violent. But it's way more the threat of violence yeah. or like the idea of violence. Well, that's why it's very... like Jaws or something, because it's yeah. all about withholding the actual yeah. event. Which is way different from the show, which is, again, just, you know, astonishing that it ever was on network television, which is a thing that people have said many times but remains true. But also the show has a very, very different attitude towards yes. gory violence than than other kind of crime dramas. But I mean, you're right, it is nuts that there was that much blood was allowed on NBC yeah. at like 9pm or whatever. <laughs> right, I mean, it's just astonishing. They're com- trying to do completely different things and they're totally, totally different. Um, but it was just interesting to think about the different effects that those approaches have. And it was one of the things actually that I always found not as interesting about the TV show. It wasn't like my sensibilities were, you know, like offended. And it was always really, it's really aestheticized violence. So it's not, it wasn't like you're watching it. And it was really, at least to me, like upsetting. But I didn't find it that interesting, personally. And I found this way more affecting because it's kind of like the, like, monster in the monster movie. Yeah. Right? Where, or like the alien in the alien movie or whatever metaphor you want to use, where the sort of adage goes that it's always better to not show it because whatever you can come up with in your head is way scarier than anything that you could put on the screen. And they do show a little bit, which I think is also smart, but just the sort of talking about, you know, cannibalism and all the serial killer stuff to me is the abstract of that is much more frightening than being shown a bunch of like Anthony Hopkins doing all this shit. Well, that's where some of the others went wrong, right? Because, like, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, regular listeners will know that I'm passionately obsessed with the TV show Hannibal, so I'm very much, like, it is both the best show ever, and also, I mean, it's, it's a draw with Sans Lambs because they're both aiming to do really different things, but I think that it's just, it's just, like, a really wonderful gothic romance, and I love all the kind of stylized stuff. But um, it's fascinating to watch Red Dragon and Manhunter, both of which are adapted from the same story as the Hannibal TV show. They're all the story where the kind of FBI profiler, Will Graham, who has a similar kind of working class Southern background to Clarice, um, he kind of forms this relationship with Hannibal. Um, and like they, they, you know, it's the same thing where he's trying to discover serial killers for the FBI. But um, like the reason why Silence of Lambs works as a concept better than either of those is because it, it has... A female protagonist which means they're they find it easier to acknowledge the gender stuff and the psychological relationship that you need between Hannibal and Will because in the books it's just really interesting but in Manhunter which I just thought was really bad basically a lot of people think that film's great it's by Michael Mann there's a lot of kind of interesting lighting things going on but it's literally just like oh there is this wholesome dad who has this superpower where he can just see everything at a crime scene and figure it out so it's the proto- crime drama of modern TV crime dramas where there's just like a white man who has a bunch of powers that means he can fight crime. They just don't really delve into any kind of relationship between him and Hannibal, which is one of the core elements of the book, along with just like all of the kind of internal monologues of Will Graham as this intrinsically really fucked up character who has a lot of like mental health problems and stuff. Um, And he also has like a really unique viewpoint on like violent crime. And then Red Dragon is the modern blockbuster version of that 
with Edward Norton and then it has it has Anthony Hopkins again but it's like it just isn't interesting and like with the TV show Hannibal because it's made by Brian Fuller he just like fully leaned into the relationship aspect and made it subtextually as a romance story but with Silence of Lambs you can have that because with Clarice it's like a more socially acceptable way to explore his relationship although interestingly like in the books in Hannibal Clarice and Hannibal essentially end up eloping together and when they made the movie of that everyone who was involved in Silence of the Lambs was just like we're not making this so <laughs> the original writer director and star did not come back um, I think in Jodie Foster's case partly because they just didn't pay her enough I think I remember reading an interview where they were just like we couldn't get on board with the concept of her ending up with Hannibal which they end up not doing anyway I know I feel like this was talked about in like a screenwriting class I took or something I thought that was the end of this movie and I was like, oh, that's not how this ends at all. <laughs> Which is, like, better, obviously. But it was just really funny, because it got to the end, and I was like, yep, that's not the end I was expecting to see. <laughs> like, that ended sooner than I thought. But uh, I now can't, I'm now dying to know who informed me erroneously <laughs> of, like, the end of this film. But... Obviously, like, it's much more subtle and interesting without her going fully off the deep end. <laughs> yeah. That well, the thing is, but it's I... like in the book. I mean, it's one of those things where I read the book when I was so young that I'm like, this is awesome because it's been imprinted on me. So I don't know what my opinion would be as like a feminist adult if I read this, whether I'd be in favour of it. But considering how in favour of it I am with Hannibal, the TV show, I don't know. It's hard to know. Maybe I'd still be into I read... it. <laughs> <laughs> I read this, the Wikipedia summary out to my friend after we watched it, and she was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, yeah, this sounds real bad. Well, yeah, so, he's kind of like, it's it's really unclear, like, because she's been isolated to the point where she basically just has no one else apart from Hannibal, and also it's strongly implied that he's drugging and brainwashing her, which is not a happy ending. It's like drugging and brainwashing her in an attempt to turn her into his sister, and then she refuses to be his sister but is like but i'll stay with you this seems like maybe not the best they, they redo that to a certain extent with jillian anderson's character bedelia de Maurier in the hannibal show which is always really interesting because they don't really go into any of the backstory sister stuff intentionally because brian fuller has good opinions and was like this is not relevant and it shouldn't be relevant but yeah. Gillian Anderson, in terms of bone structure and appearance, looks really similar to Mans Mikkelsen, so it works fantastically yeah. well on a subtextual yeah. level. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, basically, Red Dragon and Manhunter don't work very well because of internalized homo- homophobia nonsense, where you can't have like a relationship between two men, even though I'm not even speaking about it like romantically, romantically or sexually. It's just got to be really... They don't want it to be like this complex thing. Yeah. And then it's so it's just like, oh, well, you've done like a crime drama with a serial killer in it. Big whoop. There's a lot of them. <laughs> yes, that is certainly true. Many of which will be coming out later this year. They make them in perpetuity. Uh, I think that's about all we have to say about this. I mean, you could keep talking about Hannibal forever, but yeah. at a certain point, <laughs> it must end. Next week, we'll be discussing Logan Lucky, which came out this week in America and is coming out next week in the UK. I think I'm going to go see that tonight. I'm very excited. Yeah, I'm looking forward to film. it. Has everyone I like. Directed by Steven Soderbergh, one of our greatest directors, who unretired to make this movie. Thanks, Steven! So, very exciting. So go check that out, and then come back and listen to that episode next week. 
As ever, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. It's how we find new listeners. And otherwise, you can find us on overinvestedpodcast.com, on Twitter at overinvestedpod, or on Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast. Thanks. Bye.